Before we get started on the show, I wanted to apologize for the mic. We're having mic issues here at the office, and this week's podcast does not sound nearly as good as some of the others, but rather than re-recording everything, um, we'll just fix it for next week. So if you can make it your way through it, that'd be great. Um, and with that, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Bullseye Podcast by Aldebaran Financial, your personal financial guides. My name is Peter Raber and I am going to be your guide today. It's been a, uh, a week since we talked last and I hope everybody had a good week and that it's been uh, productive. We've seen some things on the market that have been really interesting and we'll get into those later. My week since last Wednesday has involved a, a couple of like real busy days and then some slow days and some busy days and a couple of fun things um, on Thursday so right after we had talked I had a day where I had three different foundation meetings whether either I serve on the foundation or I serve as the advisor on the investment side for the foundation um, and then had to play a little bit of car tag with my wife given her one van so that I could go pick up our, our boys from preschool with another van and all this and the other. So we had, that was Thursday. Um, my son, who does Taekwondo, had breaking clinic on Saturday. So we took our uh, boys over to see our younger boys, Benny and Big Four in September. We took them to see their older brother do some Taekwondo breaks, which was fun on Saturday. Uh, we actually went over and uh, we went to the baseball field after all that was over and let little ones who will start baseball in the spring hit some off the tee and they did really well. That was a lot of fun. It's really fun watching them grow and, and turn into little young men. You know, So that's been a lot of fun and it's hard to believe that they're already of the age where they're going to be starting taekwondos themselves in the uh, fall and then baseball in the spring. Saturday was a, one of those days that I was able to take my nine-year-old. We went down to Pigeon Forge, and there's a place down there called Magic Quest, and you take a wand, and you've got to go point it at a whole lot of things. So we worked through some of those puzzles and games in there, and beating the ice dragon and the fire dragon and all that sort of stuff. Um, if you've never done that with one of your kids, if you have kids or steal somebody else's kid, go and do it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and then on Monday, and why I probably want to talk a little bit more about and how you know you can apply it out. I had a get together. I I started doing Taekwondo shortly after my son because I saw how much fun he was having. And he's on up there. He's he's become a black belt, and so I take from the same school. I take from KHK Martial Arts here in Kingsport, and Master Walbon is the master who runs that school and I've struggled with back problems my most of my adult life I injured it playing not playing but for weightlifting for baseball in college so roughly 18 years ago and it's never been right since and 
I've done various things to treat it and make things you know better and some things make things worse and tried every gadget you could probably think of to, to make it better but I recently had an MRI done and we were trying to decide whether or not um, surgery was an option and I've got problems in my low back at the L5 disc for those of you who experienced back pain before I've also got issues at L1 and then up into the T's I've got one or two things and I'm not a good candidate for surgery, so we were looking at a different um, option on how you were going to go about treating that. And one of the things the neurosurgeon had said was they would recommend that I give up anything that's not important. So the idea would be give up something like Taekwondo so that I can focus on things that are important, like playing baseball with, with my son or coaching my son's teams and roughhousing with them and doing all that sort of thing. So I've gotten up to the level of being a blue belt in Taekwondo and I've got a few more belts before I would get up to black and that's something that I had set out there as, as a goal for myself but I didn't know if that was still going to be a possibility. And so I met with Master Wallbond and we had a very good discussion about you know, is there still a path forward? How do we move forward? And he said something that I, I really latched onto. And it was that we're no longer training to learn how to fight or defend ourselves, but we're training to learn how to use our body and to protect our body. And we're, we're going to do a few things so that I can keep going on that path. But I thought it was real interesting that phrasing, you know, we're no longer doing this, we're doing that, but we're still moving forward. And I think that's really applicable in a lot of things, especially in the stock market, especially in, in the business that I do. You know, we change plans all the time. And sometimes that change of plan leads to even a better result. And that's what I'm hoping for here. Hopefully I'll be, you know, able to continue in my back wall won't be a problem, but we're going to do certain things, we're going to protect certain things in a certain way, you know, and I'm never going to be the person who flies through the air kicking boards out of the sky, but can maybe still progress and get to where, you know, I want to be or an acceptable level of that and then moving, you know, into other areas of life. So it was just a really interesting turn of phrase that I liked and I thought it was pretty applicable in, in the whole concept of adjusting plans and, and changing as you go. And I think that's so important that we constantly check in and say, is the plan still right? Are we still moving towards what we want to be moving towards? Are we still able to move towards what we want to move forward? Or circumstances changed and we got to change the plan and not waiting on a you know quarterly review or an annual review because plans need to change when circumstances change and that is so important for success in the long run. So I jump ship in Hong Kong and I make my way over to Tibet and I get on as a looper at a course over there in Himalayas. A looper? A looper. You know, a caddy, a looper. Mm. Jack. So I tell him I'm a pro jack and who do you think they give me? The Dalai Lama himself. 12th son of the Lama, the flowing robes, the grace, all <sighs> striking. So I'm on the first tee with him. I give him the driver. He hauls off and whacks one. Big hitter, the Lama. 
long into a 10,000-foot crevice right at the base of this glacier. Do you know what the Lama says? No. Gunga Galunga. Gunga, Gunga Lagunga. So we finish 18, and he's going to stiff me. And I say, hey, Lama, hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort, you know? And he says, oh, uh, there won't be any money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So I got that going for me, which is nice. So this week, instead of music, as you can see, I'm going a little different direction. We're going to try to do some movie quotes. I, I never like to leave things the same for very long. I'm one of those people that will move a couch six inches to the left, and then I'll put it onto a different wall, and then I'll change it. I need to do that pretty frequently. I'll drive my, my dad and the rest of the people here in the office nuts with how often I want to shift things around, especially within my office. So we're going we're gonna to go with movie quotes this week, and we'll see where we go in, in the future. But one of the things that, that he says, you know, there's no money for it, but I got that going for me. And that kind of is how the stock market felt this week. If we look at, at the Dow and where we were at over the course of, of, you know, the last week, we ended on... I guess the the 25th, the end of the day, the 25th, we were at 25,421. Here we are at 25,351. Uh, we actually gapped higher on Thursday morning uh, on some tariff talks, and then we drifted lower throughout the, the week. And there are a couple stories in there that um, I wanted to highlight, and then we can move on into the, the rest. But... We saw um, the big news stories of the week. You had Facebook. So Facebook, right out the gate, you know, since we talked less, plummeted 20% on their Q2 earnings report. And there were a couple of comments within their conference call that are what drove that drop. And this is right on the heels of Netflix dropping their large 14% after hours when they missed. But there were a few things that stuck out. So if you saw it and didn't understand, you know, why a stock was losing 20%, um, these are kind of the, the reasonings why. And I think it's probably overdone by just a little bit. And we'll see where it goes forward. But their CFO, David Weiner, Weiner W-E-H-N-E-R, um, came out and said that growth rates for Q3 and Q4 would continue to decline in the high single-digit percentages. And so what that really means is we saw Q2 drop, and they're expecting it to continue. So we had 49% year-over-year growth in Q1. It was 42% year-over-year growth in Q2. They're expecting then a further 6 to 8 points of deceleration in Q3, Q4. So that would mean we'd be sub-30% growth in less than two quarters. And that's just a rapid deceleration. And the market 
is reacting to that because the stock market is a predictor of what's going to go on going in the future. And if we're expecting Facebook to not grow anywhere near as fast as they were, uh, that's, that's a big problem. So that was a, a big part of it. The other thing that they saw was a miss in revenue. So they missed analyst expectations of $13.4 billion. They only earned $13.2 billion. Um, but that was a deceleration what, from what they had seen in Q1. And it's they were expecting a 43% gain in year over year. It was only 42% gain large number there they also missed just slightly on daily active users and monthly active users and that was somewhat um, closer they had expected 1.49 billion daily active users they came at 1.47 but all of these things in the stock market are based upon you know continuing to grow as certain paths we're willing to pay this much for a stock if it's growing at this rate so we saw a large pullback in Facebook. Facebook dropped from you know pre-earnings it was at um, go go back a little bit here on my chart but we were at 216 ish 218 and now we're down here at 171 it dropped as far down as 162 I believe there was a print maybe 164 so really large reduction in, in no no different only different in your mind you must unlearn what you have learned so i kind of gone technical and nerded out in those first two things a little bit in what we, we had talked about and in looking at this week's tip maybe go something a little bit more plain english a little more you know just talking through a, a concept and some people call it the most important rule in investing is knowing whether or not we're saving, investing, or gambling. And the big thing that I would tell anybody is that never make an investment if you can't afford a total loss. That's kind of that rule that you hear out there. Not that we ever expect the stock market to go to zero or a bond to default and you get nothing back but there's a significant difference between savings and investing so savings being putting money aside in a safe place where it stays until you need it you know it could be years it could be months it could be days and it might earn a little interest you know think about what you can get out of a cd you know and some people would say well you need at least six months of savings as emergency savings so that if you lose your job, you have the ability to continue making payments on your house or your car or buy groceries or whatever it is. So that's savings. Investing is the process of putting your money to work for you. And typically, it can make you more money than the interest you might earn from a savings account or a CD, assuming that that's the case. But it, with that reward always comes risk. And if you make poor choices in your investments, you could lose that money. And it's not going to be there in case of emergency. So the next step, though, is what's past investing. And we've talked about this a little bit with what we've talked about with 
going over the intelligent investor, there's investing versus gambling. So the idea that if we're not making sound investment choices, if we're not weighing all the options, if we're not just going on a gut feeling, that's, you know, the big distinctions. Gambling is, hey, I think that's going to be big. Let's go into it. So I'm going to put all my money into Bitcoin at $20,000 of Bitcoin. Oh, it's down here at 7000 That's gambling. Um, investing would be understanding, okay, well, I like the technology of blockchain. These are the companies who are making that happen. These are the ones who are making money. These are the ones who are competitors. And going through the process of making an investment. So there's a, a tendency amongst us to overreach, to try to put more money out there so that you can get that huge payout in the end. And we need to be cautious of that. And we've talked about that a little bit, but I did want to talk about the difference between savings and investing. Because if we haven't taken care of our savings first, we shouldn't be worrying about investing. I don't care if you can get a really nice return out of an investment. If we haven't taken care of savings first, then we, we need to go back to step one and take care of that. So that was today's you know tip and this week's tip. It's not nearly as long as, as some of the others, um, but I think it's a really important distinction and we need to be very conscious of it in moving forward. Universal Pictures and Imagine Entertainment cordially invite you to the Joseph McTeague Estate where the entire McTeague family is eagerly waiting for their beloved Uncle Joe to die. No, my lawyer says I can turn all my money over to one person. And who would that be? Me! Forget it, they don't deserve anything. Isn't our self-respect worth more than any inheritance? No! No! Excuse me a second. <laughs> so you're interested in money, huh? Ten bucks just coming here. I'll get another 20 if I kiss you. I'm thinking about it. So this week's client issue that came up that I think is helpful for everyone is talking about how to deal with inheritance. And we recently had a client pass away and they had a sizable estate. And most of it was in investable assets. So we had a set of beneficiaries who received that money. And we met with all of them over the course of the last couple of months, but we had a number of meetings this week because the estate is finally closing out and we were able to make some distributions from the estate into each of the child um, children's accounts. And so it was really fascinating going through that process because we went through each person's individual situation. And what was really fascinating was most of them said, well, you did really well for mom, just do that for me. And we went through the conversation of, well, this was money that your mom had that she didn't need. She had other income flows that were taking care of her expenses. And she had explicitly told us to try to grow this to the biggest pot possible so that when it did come time for a distribution, that each of her children would get as much as possible. So we had been overly aggressive in the account compared to maybe what you would be for someone who was her age and had her expenses and everything else. But going back to a topic that we had talked about previously of risk capacity, she had the capacity to take risk here. 
Um, if this went to zero, it wasn't going to affect her life. Now it would affect the lives of her children. So obviously we weren't full steam ahead, 100% equities, but we were higher in equities than we would have been. And it served her well, especially since the market has done so well coming off the bottom of March of 2009. But we sat down with each child and we talked to them about their situation and how did they want to invest it. And we had to move past the, well, I don't know stage. I wasn't expecting this. They, none of the children knew the dollar amount that was on, on the way. Um, they knew that their mom was well off, but not necessarily how much each one of them would get. So we went through the process of, do we pay off debt? Do we um, invest conservatively because I have children to take care of? Or I, this is my retirement. So one of the gentlemen who was a child, you know, he functionally said, well, this will be my retirement. I've changed jobs a couple of times and I don't have a large 401k somewhere. So I'm counting on this to be my retirement. So we came up with an investment plan for him. Um, another one of the children said, well, just do it like mom. And when we explained how much risk was in there, they were like, oh, that's not me. And so, you know, they were much more comfortable being sub 50% in equities. And for them, it probably makes sense to at least be 50% in equities, but we had to go through the process of what does that look like? You know, if the returns are here, what does that mean? If we see a market decline of 20% one year, what does that mean? How does that plan and project out? So those are all questions that we go through when someone's dealing with an inheritance. And Sometimes, you know, an inheritance can be very little and, you know, we see people say, all right, well, I got a couple thousand dollars from mom and dad. I'm going to do this. The money's gone. Um, I wasn't expecting it or planning on it and I'm just going to spend it or I'm going to give it to my kids as a way of, of being a last thing, you know, from grandma or grandpa or whatever it happens to be. But a lot of times we, we take individuals who are maybe not used to having a certain level of wealth and now all of a sudden they are. So it's somewhat like winning the lottery for certain people and it's working through and developing a good financial mindset right at, at the beginning so that we don't make the mistakes. You see all the horrible stats on people who win the lottery about how much money is gone after the first year and you know how many people they've... Um, helped out and now they have nothing for themselves or they spent it all assuming that they could always earn more um, and they just outspend the earnings rate and you see all the psychological problems that go along with that too from how they mentally handle the money but it's really important in dealing with things of inheritance hello bell bonjour gaston Gaston, may I have my book, please? How can you read this? There's no pictures. Well, some people use their imagination. Continuing on with the Intelligent Investor, Chapter 4 has some of my favorite things in it because it talks about the basic problem of bond stock allocation. We've talked about it on the podcast a little bit of how to look at building an account, but it's interesting to take a look at how Mr. Graham would, would put together a portfolio policy. 
and for a defensive investor, he recommends dividing his funds between high-grade bonds and high-grade stocks, and, and he has an allocation of 50-50 as his standard recommendation, that an investor should never have less than 25% or more than 75% in common stocks and the consequent inverse range of 75 and 25 in bonds. And the traditional sound reasoning, he would say, of increasing the percentage in common stocks would happen when bargain price levels are created in a protracted bear market. And sound procedure would call for reducing common stock component below 50% when in the judgment of the investor, the market level has become dangerously high. And he goes on to talk about a number of things that get into having um, strong confidence in the soundness of stock position and that they could view a market decline with equanimity. So being able to process that and not not worry about it. Um, But one of the things that he says that I find really interesting because I don't see it in many clients that we work with, even though we start to work towards it, um, but very few people come into investing with this idea, but that a truly conservative investor will be satisfied with the gains shown on half his portfolio in a rising market, while a severe decline could derive much solace from reflecting how much better off he is than many of his more venturesome friends. And so it's basically saying, I know you have, let's say, $100,000 in your investments, you should really be happy with the gains on 50,000. We're going to keep the other 50,000 earning rates of return above and beyond savings, but we're not worried about those gains. We want that to be safe because when the market does turn, we uh, want to be able to absorb that type hit. Now, things are definitely very different now than when Ben Graham was writing this and we don't have the ability at this point to get a solid level of return in high quality bonds. You're either having to go out an extreme amount of years in bonds to get a return or you're having to take credit risk um, and you're not getting a premium for it. So we're in a little bit of an odd situation that we might be in one of those situations where stocks are overvalued and they're too high, but we don't have returns available to us in the fixed income market. And that's been one of the reasons we've seen maintaining high stock allocations as a common way of getting returns recently. So we do need to be aware when that shifts and you can get a return out of fixed income, the market could turn kind of quickly on that type news. That's one of the reasons why as interest rates have gone higher, you know, you have the worries about an inverting yield curve and a recession on the the horizon, which we don't see a recession coming. But if you see the ability for someone to get a solid rate of return out of just fixed income, there are a lot of investors who are overextended in their risk profile that will be very quick to shift to that. And so that's a, a big concern on the market. In the latter part of the 
chapter he talks a little bit about individual type investments so high yield bonds which are also known as junk bonds um, he, he's not a big fan of them they, they occupy a huge percentage of the market now compared to then um, but he would say they expose the owner to too many individual risks of untoward developments ranging from disquieting price declines to actual defaults and so they require special study and skill to exploit successfully. Um, so he's not a big fan of, of high-yield bonds, and, and I would agree with that to a certain extent. You know, They do not need to be a huge part of your portfolio, um, but that area just underneath investment bonds, you know, the double B area, double B plus, you know, there's some value in there that we can, can take and look and be very cognizant of, but it takes monitoring to be able to, to operate in that section. Um, the other things he talks about, savings bonds, you know, and CDs are an okay substitute for short-term bond investments. He's not a big fan of call provisions. Now, I really like call provisions, um, but they were viewed differently there. Um, as long as you buy with the understanding of what your yield to call is, and if that's an acceptable yield to call, um, it, it works out all right. The way that might work is um, you buy a bond that matures in five years and it's going to have a yield to maturity of 5% per year that based upon the call provisions, maybe that company can call it back from you, you and buy the bond back from you after three years and the yield to maturity after three years would have only maybe been 3% per year. Well, if that 3% number is okay to you, it works. Um, he's not a big fan of preferred stocks. We actually like preferred stocks as well, but you have to understand what they are. A preferred stock um, typically has no share in companies' profits beyond a fixed dividend rate. Um, and uh, the owner of a preferred stock is actually just entitled to that fixed dividend and no more. But ha that fixed dividend has to be paid before common stock dividends. So you do have that layer of protection. So typically, you know, one of the things that we've seen, especially coming out of the financial crisis, is a preferred stock would come to market at $25 a share and pay like 6%. And it would stay at that $25 a share. So you're not expecting growth in your capital, but you're getting a 6% return. Those same $25 preferreds, when interest rates spike, do see, you know, themselves trade off. But a lot of those can get called back when there's the ability to finance them at a cheaper rate through other means for a company. So preferred stocks are not necessarily as bad as he makes them out to be, um, but we're also in a different time period. And, you know, he, I guess, you know, is always very cognizant of knowing what you've bought and what you've paid for but being conservative and as a value investor that makes sense he's he wants to be conservative which is such a a rarity in today's investing mindset i think it's really valuable to to take a moment and stop and look back at things like that so that we don't overextend ourselves um and that's that's pretty much what's in chapter four um you start to get into some meatier things down the road, but I like the idea of starting at a 50-50 allocation and moving to 75-25 or some range in between there, depending upon 
the uh, current market conditions. And I think that's a philosophy that can serve people really well. That sounds like old Morse code. What does it say? Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Danger indeed. Anything that I've said today, please discuss it with your own financial and legal professionals. It is purely meant for educational purposes. Um, I hope you found some value in it. And if anybody has any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can email us at aldebron at aldebronfinancial.com. And you can get in touch with us um, through our website, which is aldebronfinancial.com. Love to hear from you, and until next week. Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas.